I want to start off with some uh, God-breathed words. It's my favorite way to start a message because you're always off to a good start if you're using the Word of God. It's alive and it's active. I encourage you to lean in. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from the flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, the Sermon of the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then in Mark, Mark chapter 12, we read this scene. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Well, that'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Like every time you dropped in an offering, every time you wrote a check, every time you gave online, hey, there's Jesus right there watching. That'd be awesome, right? Uh, many rich people put in large amounts, then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we humbly come before you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. You are before all things, over all things. And God, you hold all things together. Your mercies are new every morning. God, when we are thirsty, you give us drink. When we're hungry, you feed us. When we are empty, you fill us up. When we're broken, you put us back together again. There's no one like you. And God, I pray for us, your people. I pray that our hearts and minds will be open, that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see. And may your word accomplish everything you desire for it to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. And now for several weeks, we've been talking about you know, some habits, habits that if you embrace them and live them out, you will grow up in your salvation. And so does anybody out there want to grow up? I hope so. And so far, we've looked at the habits of regular church attendance. We looked at the habit of doing life together, which is so important. A matter of fact, in my news feed and Facebook, I saw one of our members post about how they've had a rough couple of weeks or months, but they said they're making it through, and, and they said this, we keep saying it takes a village to raise our kids and keep our family afloat. Uh, this week, that village included our small group from church, their prayers, their love, and their support. Now, I would just encourage you, if you're not in the life group, or people who know when you're hurting, uh, or people who are hurting and you can help them, I would encourage you to sign up to be a part of it. Uh, this family here found the support they needed in a really tough time. We talked about the habit of spending time in God's Word, the habit of talking to God in prayer, habit of having a quiet time where we actually spent 10 minutes in this room actually doing a quiet time. And 
I got to tell you, I have more people come and tell me they enjoyed that than anything I've ever done in ministry. And we'll be doing that again. This time to spend in God's word and his presence. And this morning, we're going to look at the final habit of the six we're talking about. The habit of, the grow habit of giving. Question. How does the topic of money and giving make you feel? Anxious? Nervous? Defensive? Afraid? Uncomfortable? I mean, does it, does it make you wish you stayed home today? <laughs> like, what a day to go to church, right? Now, now I, th- I think one of, the, one of the main reasons why money is such an uncomfortable topic at its core is a fundamental and basic misunderstanding of the Christian faith. Let me explain. Imagine, if you will, that your life is a dresser. And here's how many people think about faith. Uh, they think that the faith is just simply one of, the, one of the drawers in their dresser. And then you have like the drawer of relationships and of work and of recreation and then the drawer of money. And they may even put the, the drawer of faith at, at the top. And so we're okay with coming to church and, and talking about faith and opening that drawer because that fits, that makes sense. And it's okay for me to come in and rummage through that drawer and However, if whenever a preacher tries to open up the money drawer, there's a good chance he could get his finger smashed. Because church, yeah, we can talk about faith and relationships if we don't get too uncomfortable. But money, that's a different category, a different compartment altogether. And here's, here's what you need to understand. Uh, the moment we start compartmentalizing our faith, we are no longer talking about the Christian faith. Because the core of the Christian faith is the all-inclusiveness of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and, and what I'm trying to say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm saying it very well, is that when we as Christians say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, we are in effect saying, Jesus, you are my life. And my faith is not merely, you know, a, a, a drawer in my life, but instead my, the dresser actually is my faith. Because every area of my life is under the authority of Jesus, is under his lordship. Are, are you tracking with me? Therefore, the minute we, we start saying, no, my faith, it's just a drawer, it's just a compartment, we're no longer talking about the Christian faith. And that's when talking about things like money in church can become a little bit uncomfortable. Because we fail to understand that, that like he's in charge of that too. Uh, one author I came across this week said this, anytime we compartmentalize our relationship with God, we create problems. Lordship is all-encompassing. We cannot make certain things off limits to the lordship of Christ. Doing so divides the heart and leads to all manner of of sin compartmentalization is a lie. Thinking that we can effectively follow Jesus in one area of our life while deliberately disobeying him in another area is insane. And it is insane. You know, to think that we can, we can follow Jesus and deliberately, knowingly, rebelliously disobey him in another area. Like, hey, I'll follow Jesus, but I'll handle my money my way. I'll follow Jesus, but I'll never forgive them for what they did to me. They hurt me too bad. I'll follow Jesus, but I'll keep using my tongue in ways that are destructive and tear people down. 
I'll follow Jesus, but I'll do whatever feels right to me sexually. I'll follow Jesus, but I'll never take the risk to share my faith. And so what I'm trying to say is, is that I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable about money and giving, but they're things that we, we need to talk about. Get it? Good. And in fact, I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning, started thinking about my message, and, and never got back to sleep again. You know, just, and, and just praying, God, help your truth to come out in a powerful way so that people can grow up in their salvation. Understand, you can, you can give without growing, but you cannot grow without giving. And that's why these conversations like this are so important. Now, when you look in the Gospels, you see Jesus, he didn't have a problem talking about money. Almost half of his parables use money as the primary application. And when you look at the rest of the New Testament writers, you, you find that you know, they talked about money and giving five times more than they talked about prayer. So they talked about it a lot. And, and now, maybe there, there's some people in this room that think this is a conversation like this is unnecessary on giving because they, they've been tithing 10% since they got their first allowance five decades ago or something. That was good music for, that's tithing music, right? Happy music. In fact, they may be thinking that, hey, if these other people get their act together, and then we could do more and move on to new things. But my question for those who think they have this given thing figured out is this. Is what you're currently giving to God, is it generous? Like, does your giving, does it cost you? Is it sacrificial? Some people may think it's unnecessary because they, they got given, figured out. And others, again, are a little offended. They th think that, you know, giving in money is an out-of-bounds topic in church. See, many people believe, and I think wrongly, that, that giving is a private matter between God and that individual. Now, now, where does that belief come from? I think it comes from a wrong application of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking to people, hey, don't give in such a way that it causes people to praise you. And he says, hey, you know, give in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? He's talking about the motive. Don't give to be praised of people. He also said, don't pray the same way. Pray in the closet, right? You know, the point is not you got to pray in the closet. The, the point is don't pray so people think, wow, that, that, that prayer was a 10. That was a gold medal prayer, right? That was incredible. No, that's, it's about our motive behind it. Because throughout Scripture, we see in the New Testament, you know, the widow's offering was talked about. Mary anointed Jesus' feet with a, a year's wages. Zacchaeus stood up and said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Uh, Barnabas sold some property and gave it to the church. Tabitha's generosity was recognized. And so if you're feeling a little uncomfortable about today's conversation, it might be a good idea to ask yourself, Why? Why am I uncomfortable? Because what, what I've discovered over the years is that the more defensive I become in listening to a sermon or a message, sometimes it's the more I need to hear it. And that's not just true of money. It's true of everything in life. You know, you, you sit down and you see the topic of the, the message or the talk and you immediately feel defensive about it. And there's a good chance that you, maybe you need to say, God, God, what are you trying to tell me? What am I not seeing 
Why am I so defensive about this? So I'm just wondering if it's possible that the more upset you get about, you know, God going through your money drawer, through your giving and money, is it possible? It means the more you need to hear it. Now here's how I want to attack our, 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 our uh, topic today. What are some reasons people don't give? Answer these questions, right? Uh, why should we give? Where should we give? How should we give? Before we go there, I, I want to talk about a resource that we have available at Area Maple Grove. It's called Right Now Media. You know, it, it's a Netflix of Christianity, okay? Um, it has 14,000 videos. And if you sign up with a connection card with Hannah, you know, she'll give you an email. You can go in and become a part of this. And they have, they have so many different studies on every topic you can imagine. Here's a great one. Rock Solid Finances by C, um, Christ Church of the Valley out in Arizona. Fantastic church. It's a, you know, the whole series takes through everything, your budgeting and everything else. But there's plenty of resources in there available to you uh, on Right Now Media. And you just fill out your connection card. Okay, what are some reasons why people do not give? In his book, The Great Evangelical Recession, pastor and author John Dickerson describes the current state of giving in America this way. He says this, the financial crisis is not a shortage of funds, it's a shortage of commitment. We do not believe in tithing, or for that matter, generous giving. More importantly, we do not believe Jesus' simple direct statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If Jesus' claim is true, then the heart of the typical evangelical is not in Christ's kingdom. Our hearts are in our cars, in our credit cards, in our mortgages, and in our retirement savings. Yeah, the struggle with giving is real, and you know, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Here are some you know, stats out there on giving. Um, the average Christian gives 2.43% of their income to the church. Only 7% of Christians give 10% of their incomes. Only 1% of Christians who make over 75,000 give 10%. So, in other words, the more people, more believers make, the less that believers tend to give. I, I posed a question a while back um, asking for, hey, why do people struggle giving generously to the church and kingdom causes? And here's some of the answers people gave me back. Um, people don't have a spending plan. Uh, lack of faith and trust in God. Um, they're slaves to credit card debt. Fear. Um, wanting to keep their money for big personal purchases. Um, people forget that their money belongs to God and wrongly think that it's their money they're giving to God. Um, another was selfishness. Probably my favorite was from a friend of ours who lives in uh, Minnesota. They've forgotten that their giving is an act of worship. Do you give generously to the church and other kingdom causes? Does God think you give generously? And if you do not give generously, what's the reason? And do you think God who owns everything is like totally okay with that reason? Okay? Everybody sufficiently uncomfortable yet? Amen? Y'all having so much fun out there. Why should I give? And this should motivate you to give. It motivates me to give. Um, giving makes you more like God. Listen, God, the creator, is the center of the universe. He's a giver. 
Understand, everything you have, uh, the breath in your body, right? Everything you have is a gift from God. And when you give, you're like God in whose image you're made. I mean, the most famous verse in the entire Bible is, is what, right? It's John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he what? That he, that he gave. Not a tithe. He didn't get, he didn't get 10% of his life. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And listen, throughout Scripture, we see God giving again and again and again. I went on BibleGateway.com and I looked up the word give in the New Testament. And I found out what I already knew is that our God is a giver. God gives us our daily bread. God gives us rest. God gives us forgiveness. He gives us an inheritance. He gives us eternal life. He gives us every good and perfect gift. God gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He gives us peace. He, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us life and breath, new birth, freedom. He gives us insight, understanding, wisdom, and power. He gives us endurance and encouragement and strength. He gives, gives us very great and precious promises. One day he'll give us the right to eat from the tree of life. And if we overcome, he'll give us the right to sit on his throne. The first reason for giving is that it makes us more like God. And can you think of anyone better to be like than to be like God? And that's who you are at your core, right? Because you're made in God's image and God is a giver. Another reason to give is it draws you closer to God. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, if I put my money in entertainment, into recreation, that's where my heart is. If I put it into my house, that's where my heart is. If I put it into my car, that's where my heart is. You know, right now, I don't really care about Best Buy stock. But if I went out and bought 1,000 shares this week, guess who starts caring about Best Buy stock? Me. And I'll be telling you, hey, Best Buy has a sale. <laughs> Best Buy. I'll be sending you ads. Come in and go to Best Buy. Go to Best Buy. Right? Jesus said, just follow our money and we'll find our heart. And when we put our money in the Lord and the things that matter to him, like his church, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it will always draw you closer to him. And I contend that drawing closer to God is, is, a, is a really, really good thing. Another reason to give is it breaks the grip of materialism, of always having more, the myth of more, right? If you have more, you're going to be happy, right? Have a bigger house, I'll be happier. Have a nicer car, I'll be happier. Most of you are finding out it doesn't really work that way. And materialism is the number one idol, and it's God's chief competitor in this world. You know, we live in a culture, right, that is, you know, thinks that you can buy happiness, right? In America, it's life, liberty, and the, and the purchase of, of happiness, and how can we live in a culture like that and at the same time not give into it and not bow down to it? The best way is to become a generous giver. And that may seem simplistic, but it doesn't mean it's not true, right? Because if it's materialism, it's our desire for stuff that keeps us from being generous, so every time you give generously, what you're doing is you're, you're saying no to materialism. You're saying no to desire for stuff every time you do that. Uh, giving is an essential way that, that we honor God. You know, honor is where we, it's like we communicate the 
someone that they have value, that they have worth to us. And there's a connection between our giving and God's honor. And the Italian prophet Malachi um, puts it like this. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi. Um, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, a son honors his father, a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You shown contempt offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as a sacrifice, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven armies. And when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all, asks the Lord of heaven armies. How, how I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I'll not accept your offerings. You dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your noses at my command, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such an offering as these? Curses a cheat who promised to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is to be feared among the nations. That's some pretty powerful, in-your-face stuff, right? He's Italian, right? What do you expect? And, and, and there's a very real connection there, right, between God's honor and our giving. Earlier, I, I read that verse, like the very first time offerings were brought to God. Remember? And, you know, Cain presented some of his crops, and, and Abel, Abel gave the best of the firstborn, right? And, and one was, why wasn't Abel's accepted? Because he didn't give his best, right? He didn't give it first. Uh, understand, God is honored when we give him our best. He's honored when he is first. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, now let's say it's your birthday and I want to honor you. Would you be more honored if I took you to your favorite restaurant and paid for it? Or would you be more honored if I went by myself to my favorite restaurant and I came over to your house and said, hey, I went to my favorite restaurant and I really ate all I could, and this was left over, and I want to honor you by giving you this, these leftovers. Which one would make you feel more honored? I think you know. I think you know. Giving God your leftovers is unacceptable. It's unacceptable, and it dishonors the name of your God. Have you ever been, felt you were dishonored by somebody? Does it feel good to have someone treat you like you have no value, you have no worth, that you don't matter? That's how we make God feel. And that kind of hurts me to think about that. 
all that God's done for me, and, I'm, and I make him feel like he doesn't matter, that he's not important to me, that other things have more value. Another reason to give is that it strengthens your, your faith. And, and giving is that one point where God says, test me in this, right? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. And God often uses our finances to test our faith. I mean, have you ever decide, had to decide between paying a bill and, and giving an offering? I mean, has your faith ever been stretched by your giving? You know, in 2010, you know, I was unemployed for six months. I had zero income um, and actually needed that income. <laughs> um, Laurie still worked managing the dental office, and we tithed her income. I still didn't have money to pay all our bills, and, and so credit cards went up. But it's like, hey, that's, my, that's income coming in, and I'm going to tie that back to God because that's what came in, and I'm just going to trust him. And somehow we made it through, you know, a few scars along the way and, and, and frustrations, but we made it through. Another reason to give is it brings blessings to our life. Uh, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed means contentment. See, God is saying that giving actually makes us content, that it actually makes us have satisfaction. But I'm not sure that we really believe what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than receive. reason I say that is because if we believe that, we'd actually give more, right? I'd give more. See, see there, you've heard the saying, you know, give till it hurts. Jesus says give till it starts feeling good. Keep giving until it starts feeling good. Only two kinds of people in life. You have givers and takers, and you're either one or the other. You're either generous with your time and your talents and your money, or, or, you're, or you're not. And which type of person do you think is happier? I think there's a reason that the root word for miserable is what? Miser. The more I hold on to things, the more miserable I am. A guy named Carl Manager, the dean of American psychology, founder of the world-famous Manager Clinic, said, giving is a criterion of mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. And I would add, generous people are rarely grumpy and mean and negative and unhappy. I mean, how, how many generous and giving people have you met that are really unhappy? I've never met a single one. But I, I, I've met a lot of people who aren't generous who are not very happy. Another reason to give is giving is an investment for eternity. You know, investment's a big deal in many people's lives today. And, 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 and this is an investment for eternity. You cannot take it with you, but you can set it ahead. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for who? For yourselves. Yeah, like, like, there's an account in heaven with my name on it, and I, and, I, and I can send things up there. And I'm sure you heard a little preacher story, right, you know, that, that we like to tell. Don't know where it originated. You know, some guy gets to heaven, he sees this great mansion. Oh, that's a great place. And what's that little shack over there? He goes, well, that's your house. <laughs> what do you mean that's my house? I, why do I have to live there? Oh, well, because that's all the material that you sent up. You see, you cannot take it with you, but... You can't set it ahead, right? Like that widow, I guarantee that widow is in some nice mansion right now, right? She gave those two coins, and she's living in an awesome place because she sent a lot 
ahead of her. And see, only two things will last forever, the Word of God and people. And when you invest in those things, you'll be storing up treasures in heaven. And let me be clear, you do not have to give. You don't. But if you choose to give, you'll be more like God, you'll be closer to God, you overcome materialism, the need to always have the biggest and best, you, you will honor God, you'll grow in your faith, you'll have the blessing of contentment, satisfaction, and joy, and you'll stir up treasures in heaven. All right? Where should we give? Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Gary Johnson writes in his book, Too Much, Living with Less in a World of More. He says, in Malachi's day, the house of God was called the temple. Israelites were required to take their tithe to the priests serving at the temple. The priests were required to put them into the storehouse, a place of safekeeping. He goes on. Tithes were used to accomplish four key purposes in the temple. Provide for the priests and Levites, similar to ministers and pastors today. Provide for the prophets and to take the message out on the road, similar to missionaries today. Provide for widows, orphans, and the needy, similar to benevolence today. And to provide for the upkeep and repair of the temple, similar to maintaining the church building today. He goes on, when we bring the whole tithe to the local church, it provides for ministers, missionaries, benevolence, and for maintenance. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Now, what we have practiced as a family, we, we bring our tithes to the local church and then our offerings to various other things, you know, sponsoring a kid in Compassion International or Alpha House, International Justice Mission, missionaries, causes that come up. And, and I contend there's no greater investment than the Church of Christ the hope of the world. Now, how should you give? Everybody breathe. We all good? All right. How should you give? You should give willingly. For the willingness is there, your gift is acceptable according to what you have, not what you don't have. Each one wants you to give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of the most cheerful givers I ever saw was a lady named Terry Latwing. Um, prayed for years and years for a husband to come to Christ. He was executive at Kraft Foods in Atlanta, and he came to Christ late in life. And, and, and Terry always wanted to tithe, but never could because her husband was a believer. And even when he became a believer, you know, Dan couldn't see how they could pull that off. And I still remember the Sunday she came in with the biggest smile I've ever seen on someone's face, and she pulled out a check and said, I get to tithe to my God today. And she was so excited. She was willing. She was cheerful about it. And, and let me say this. If you feel like I'm pressuring this morning, you're trying to get you to tap out and say, I'll give, I'll give, I got it. All right, Steve, enough. That's not my intent. I, I don't want you to give because you have to. I, I, I want you to give because you get to. I, I, I want you to give so that you will grow up in your salvation. I, I want you to give so you experience those seven amazing things that we've already talked about. And we should give thankfully. Yeah, I, I'm doing a Bible app of, of through the Bible in a year. Um, and and uh, I'm on day 132. <laughs> uh, listening to the Bible in a year. Thursday morning, 
630, I'm walking around the lake with my dog, and, and, and 1 Chronicles 29 was playing. And it's like, whoa, this is good. You know, and, and what's, what the scene is, you know, David is, is, is gathering all these materials so that he can build God's temple. Uh, he's like, hey, I live in a palace. God's temple's in a tent. That's, that's not right. Uh, God says, you can't build the temple because you're a man of war, but your son will. He doesn't sock about it. He makes sure Solomon has all that he needs. And then just kind of lean into these words. Because of my delight in the house of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the house of my God over and above all that I've provided for the holy house. A hundred tons of gold and 250 tons of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the buildings, the gold for the gold work and the silver for the silver, for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Then David praised the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, may you be praised, Lord of our God, Lord of our Father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give so generously as this? For everything comes from you. And we've given you only what comes from your own hand. For we live before you as foreigners and temporary residents. In your presence as we're all, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Yahweh our God. All this wealth that we provided for your building. You, a house for your holy name, comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I, I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you're pleased with what is right. And I've willingly given you all these things with an upright heart. And, and now I've seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willfully to you. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire forever in the thoughts and hearts of your people and confirm their hearts towards you. This day, talk about giving thankfully. Now, you'll never be able to repay God for all that he's done for you, all that he's going to do for you. But every time you give, you're saying thank you. Amen? We should give sacrificially. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Some guy wants to give David land and animals to make a sacrifice to God. And David says, makes this powerful statement. I love the statement he makes. He, he says, he says uh, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. That, that, that you know, that's pretty powerful. Um, if I, I was trying to be hip and cool, I'd say, that's dope, right? <laughs> that's dope. First time I saw that in a hat, I said, why is that person wearing something about drugs on their hat right out there in public? And I found out that dope means something different, right? Yeah, words just change. Uh, but anyhow, that, that's dope. That, that, that's a powerful statement right there. C.S. Lewis said this. This is so good. Mere Christianity uh, about this idea of, of gifts being sacrificial. Uh, I put it in your notes, the quote. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, 
is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we're probably giving away much too little. If we're given does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because their giving excludes them. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful. That's what's sacrificial, right? Man, I, there's things I couldn't do. I could have upgraded to this car. I could have gone on this vacation. I could have bought this, but I can't. And I'm okay with it because I, I gave it to God, right? It cost me something. And he's saying, if it doesn't cost like us anything, that widow gave like everything, uh, we should give uh, percentagely. I don't know if that's a word or not. But I make up words if I can't find one. So it just, this kind of works for me. You know, and, and long before the law, they talked about the tithe. You know, everything is, belongs to God, right? Then it makes sense, right? It's reasonable. If everything belongs to God, it'd be reasonable for God. To, God gives you everything, says, I want a tenth back. Like, for example, Bismarck. I'd like to give you $10. But if I give you this $10, will you give me a dollar back? Thank you, right? That seems fair. You get to keep that, by the way, you know? So you got, you got paid to go to church today, right? <laughs> I mean, he didn't hesitate, did he? Like, that, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. I wasn't going to get five, so it'd be 45, but I, I'm too cheap for that, right? <laughs> yeah, nine bucks is, is about as far as I can go. Um, and, and if it's all God's and we don't give to God what he asks us to give back, it's not just a fair to be generous, it's actually stealing. Right? Malachi 3.8 says, Will a male mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and in offerings. Raise your hand if you think it's a good thing to steal from God. Anybody? Yeah, I agree with you. Now, let me ask you a question. Like, well, we don't pass plates anymore. We have, you know, the boxes over there and giving online and text to give. Um, but suppose we're, we're passing the, suppose we're passing the place, and none of this money I'm giving away, I promise you. I'm going to keep this money here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but suppose the place you're being passed, and, you know, you're looking at your neighbor, right? And you're, you watch him, and he doesn't put anything. He, he takes out a 20, sticks in his pocket. Now, now, now what would you, th- would you think good of that person or not so good? Anybody would think good of him? Not, not so good, right? Okay, and here's the convicting thing. But what about the guy who never put the 20 in to begin with? Isn't that the same thing? Isn't that the same thing? There's money he should have put in, but he, he didn't put it in, right? If Jesus talked about tithing, some people think he didn't. Um, what he said to these guys, he says in, in, in Matthew 23, 23, he says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of Religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, right? He said, yeah, you should tithe, but don't neglect the more important things. And you know, when it comes to this, this idea of percentage giving, I was thinking this week, you know, how come giving is the one command we think like it's okay to slowly ease into, right? Like, suppose a guy comes up to me and says, hey, 
Hezekiah. It should be a safe name, right? To use. Uh, Hezekiah comes up to me during the week, says, Steve, you know, I struggle with adultery. I go, dude, that's not good. But I tell you what, Hezekiah, if you would commit adultery just half as much as you are right now, you know, that would be a good start. Let's start there. You're going to cheat on your wife twice this week instead of four times, and that would be good. We wouldn't do that, right? Now, everyone gets a percentage of their income, anywhere between zero and 100%. And the question is, and a and prayer, I, I want, I'm not going to tell you what percentage to give, but I'm going to encourage you to pray a prayer. Lord, show me what percentage of my income is generous. And to really pray it. Say, God, what percentage of my income would you consider generous? Generous. And, and, and let me say this. You know, whenever, whenever we look for loopholes, this is a clue phone, not a good thing. All right? Whenever we're looking for loopholes of how we can give less, <laughs> that's probably not good. I'm just saying. Right? Okay, God, what's the minimum I can give to you and you're still, we're still cool, right? I think that thought process isn't good, right? And that's why God talks about the heart, right? What do you decide in your heart, right? God cares about your heart. And, and, and I just encourage you to pray, God, I love you. I appreciate all that you've done for me. And I want to be generous in my giving. And God, what percentage of my income would you say, wow, Steve, that is generous? I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. And finally, we should give expectantly. And I think that is a word. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. We're really about done. Lean in. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Yeah. It's a law that farmers live by every day, right? They live by it, they die by it. Uh, a farmer knows that if he wants to reap, he has to sow. And, and that is what we are doing in giving. Uh, see, we should give expecting. We should give expecting to become more like God. We should give expecting to be closer to God. Expecting, we should give expecting our faith to grow. We should give expecting to have contentment and joy and satisfaction. We, we should give expecting God to be honored and materialism to lose its grasp on us. We should give expecting treasures to be stored up in heaven. We should give expecting to impact forevers of lost people. We should give expecting good deeds and good works to flow out in greater abundance from us into this world who needs him so badly. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down and shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Brothers and sisters, let's embrace, as scary as it might be, the spiritual growth habit of giving generously to God, and as we used to say every week at Maple Grove, and let's see what happens. Let's see what happens, right? See what happens. God's the love of the world that he gave. Every week at Maple Grove, right? In, in case... This helps us get our giving perspective, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I, I, have, I have two sons and three daughters and 
I think maybe four grandsons and three granddaughters, I'm not sure. Um, it, it, it gets confusing. Uh, but I, I, I'm sure your parents, I, I couldn't imagine, could you, I just couldn't imagine doing that. God did. God gave the best that he had. There's, there's no greater gift that he could give. And every week at Maple Grove, we celebrate that gift, lest we forget. Lest we forget God's love for us. Forget how much God wants to pour out his grace on us, bestow his mercy on us. Uh, we take communion. And, and the way we do it is we, we, we sing a song, and then we, off to the sides, we have our communion. And, and we, we have two cups the bottom cup, you'll find a cracker. And, you know, communion is open to everybody. And, and as we sing this song, I would just encourage you to, you know, to just to really be so, just to zone into what Jesus did for you and how much he loves you. And, and, you know, that cracker represents his broken body. As I like to, not like to say necessarily, but the truth is, you know, that, you know, it hurt. His body hurt. His body was beaten and it hurt. Didn't get any sleep. Everybody betraying him. People beating him. People mocking him. People whipping him. I mean, his body really went through it because he loves you. And he couldn't imagine turning without you, right? We celebrate that, right? We celebrate the love that Christ has for us. We celebrate the blood that saves us for our sins. We celebrate the fact that, you know, it's kind of crazy in America. It's on our money, but we don't believe it. But we should at least believe in, in our church. What does it say? It doesn't say in the money we trust. What does it say? On our, in what? In God we trust, right? Yeah, in God we trust, right? That's, that's where our hope is, right? Our hope is in God alone. Our hope is in Christ alone. And so I'm going to pray, you know, and, and if you are here today and you need prayer, I'll be up here. If you want to talk about your walk with God, you know, just, just come and grab me. We can talk about that. You can grab me after service. But right now, I just want you to zero in on this song and what God has for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And God, I just pray that as we, as we sing the song, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. God, thank you for giving us everything. Holy Spirit, thank you for conviction that you put a place upon our hearts. And God, may that conviction resolve in actions that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.